I hope that this passage that we will look at in Philippians, um, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I hope that it will encourage us, that it will challenge us. Um, and, and what Paul is going to be talking about this morning is advancing the gospel and not holding back, going forward with the truth of God's word. And, and so uh, I do want to remind you of what we looked at last week. Last week we looked at uh, verses 1 through 11, but we also looked at how Philippians, the letter, came to be in the first place. Who, who wrote it, why it was written, and how the church at Philippi was founded. And we looked at the fact that uh, Paul and Barnabas were partners. And they had been going on these mission trips together. And um, Mark wanted to come. But Mark had previously left a mission trip. And so there was a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to take Mark. Paul thought that it was irresponsible to take Mark since he had previously left a trip. And so they decided to split ways. And so last week we looked at the fact that sometimes people decide to go in different directions. And we, you know, there was one point at the end of the sermon where I encouraged you for us to reach out to people who have gone in different directions. If they haven't found a church home, if they haven't been settled. Um, but also we looked at the fact that sometimes it's healthy for people to go in different directions. Uh, sometimes that's best for everyone involved. And part of what was best in the way that Paul and Barnabas amicably split ways was that Paul met up with Timothy and Silas and they went and God forbid them to go into Asia and speak and to Bithynia and Paul had this vision of this man from Macedonia who called out to him to come and tell him the good news and uh, then we see Luke joins in their party at that point and they go to Philippi and outside of Philippi they meet a lady named Lydia and Lydia comes to know Christ and and we just saw all these great things that were happening and those things would not have happened if Paul and Barnabas or we assume that they wouldn't have happened if Paul and Barnabas would have stayed together but because God had a different plan because he had them to go in two different directions uh, Paul and his crew planted this church at Philippi and then we saw the opening of the letter where Paul thanked God in his remembrance Every time he thought of the Philippians, he thanked God for them. He prayed for them, and he loved them, and he encouraged them. And he, he let them know that he was sure that God had started to work in them, that they were saved, and that he would bring it to completion. He was working out, God was working out their salvation to completion, as he does in all of us who have a relationship with him. And so, um, this morning, we're going to get a little bit further. So we're past the greeting and now we're going to start hitting the heart of the message. So look at look with me at Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Feel free to read along in your version or the words will be up on the screen. It says this. I want you to know, brothers. Now here's Paul using this word of affection again. Brothers, he's, he's including everyone who's listening. And brothers include sisters. It's all inclusive. Um, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to Paul? What's he talking about? We discussed it last week. If you look back at verse 7, then he's talking about his imprisonment. That Paul was imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And now, Paul was in different sorts of prisons. There was one prison where it was basically a prison with a hole in the floor... And the prisoners were dropped into that hole. And the only door in that hole 
was to the sewer. Yeah, that's great. There's a little picture of it. And so we're not sure. Different theologians uh, disagree on where Paul was at this point. Now, if you're reading Acts, where we got some of our information last week, Acts 15:36 through the end of chapter 16 is where we saw Paul and Barnabas going different ways and, and then the church being founded. If, if you want information on where we, we get this kind of stuff, it's from Acts. That Luke gives more details than what we find here in the letter to the Philippians. Because this is just a letter. This is just a letter to, um, from, from Paul and with Timothy there with him to the church at Philippi, and he's encouraging them. So some believe Paul was in a prison like this, which he definitely was in a prison like this at one point. But we're not sure if it's when he's writing the uh, letter to the church at Philippi or... The other thing, the other option that a lot of people believe is that he was under house arrest by this time. And he had a, a specific guard who would be chained to him at all times, and he, he wasn't going anywhere. This wasn't um, house arrest where he got to sit around and play Xbox all the time. Um, for those of you who don't know what an Xbox is, just ask your grandkids. They'll fill you in. Um, but he, he was in prison. And so look back at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, that he's saying his imprisonment. And if you know, you could go uh, to Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and you can see all the different things that have happened to him during his ministry. He was snake-bitten. He was stoned and beaten and left for dead and all shipwrecked and all these things happened to him. But I believe that specifically here he's talking about his imprisonment in Rome where he's writing this letter, uh, from where he's writing this letter. And we see that what has happened to me, his imprisonment, has really served to advance the gospel. Okay, so yes, he was in prison for preaching the gospel. And the government tried to put a cap on it, right? They tried to put him in prison so that they, there would be no more of this preaching of about Jesus being the Messiah and, and this little sect of, of people who were followers of Jesus. They were trying to keep it from continuing to grow. And so they put Paul in prison. Um, however, it didn't have the intended effect because he, Paul, is telling the Philippians that what has happened is it has really served to advance the gospel. It has really served to continue to let more people know about Jesus. And isn't that just like God? If you read scripture, anytime someone tries to hinder him, anytime someone tries to uh, put a lid on his name getting out, he seems to work even more miraculously during those times. And so what I want us to do this morning is I want us to put ourselves ourselves in the place of Paul. Because I know that there every single one of you in this room, and unless you are quite young, maybe infancy, you have had, I don't know, uh, even infants have to be born, right? I mean, that's pretty traumatic. But we have all had bad things happen to us. We have all experienced tragedy. And I'm just going to ask you to be honest for me this morning. How many of you have ever thought or even asked out loud, God, why is this happening to me? A lot of us in here. 
And I don't know if, if Paul thought or asked himself that. But what we know is that he was trying to spread the gospel, the love of Jesus, the, the good news of Jesus. And we'll actually, the, the word gospel there, euangelion. And so, for some reason, even my uh, Greek has a southern accent, so just ignore that. But um, as he was at, trying to tell people about Jesus, they imprisoned him. And the Philippians, we know, are upset about this. Almost they feel defeated because of this. And Paul, one of the reasons he is writing this letter, and there are several reasons, many reasons that we will be covering over the next few weeks, or several weeks, but one of the reasons that he was writing this was to encourage them and tell them, hey, yes, I'm imprisoned, but this, is, this has not slowed down the spreading of the gospel. In fact, it has served to advance the gospel. And, and I know that we've all had things that have happened to us where we want to look at it and we want to get down about it. That's just human nature. Um, I remember uh, several years ago, um, maybe seven seven years ago, I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, um, I was in Guatemala and uh, on a mission trip. And I remember my best friend, uh, Michael Pettit, he got a phone call and we were in this hotel but hotels a really kind word for what this was um i could see him across the way motel maybe be better explanation but anyway i could see him across the courtyard and courtyard is a very kind explanation for what that was and um he he gets his cell phone he answers his cell phone and i could see his face his face was just i could tell something was wrong and so i began to pray for him and um, he puts he puts the phone down and he walks over to where I'm at and I and I say what's up you know expecting him to tell me what's going on with him and expecting to be ready to pray for him and he said well he said um, I need to let you know that Rose is having complications with her pregnancy and um, they the doctor doesn't know what's going to happen yet but we need to pray. And so, that was not what I wanted to hear. And this was before John came along. Um, and so, we begin to pray. And then, we get on a plane and, and start heading home. And uh, I'm, I'm going to hold you in suspense. We'll talk about the rest of that at the end of the sermon. But, uh, but that was a moment where I could not see what God was doing. I have no idea why he allowed that moment in my life, in Rose's life, in Michael's life. I have no idea why that happened. And for a lot of us in here, we have had moments that we cannot explain. That even to this day, we do not know why God allowed that to happen. And here is Paul, the leader of the church to many, many, many people at this point. And he is put in jail for doing what the Christian leaders like Paul are telling everyone to do, to advance the gospel, to spread the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. And he's in prison for it. And they're feeling down. And Paul is writing to them. And he's saying, look, yeah, sure. This is what happened. But let me tell you, That it's serving to advance the gospel. Look at verse 13. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard, the Praetorian. Okay, so those guards I said that he would be chained to. So think of it like this. It's kind of like the Secret Service in America today, except expanded. They had expanded responsibilities. So these guards, the imperial guards, these are the ones who would even protect um, Caesar at that time, or the leader of Rome. And so here we have Paul saying that the gospel has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So what Rome intended to quelch, God has now spread it not only uh, among the citizens, but even among those who work for the government themselves. And so God is advancing this gospel, this good news, through the, throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So they know why Paul's in jail. They know that he's not a bad guy. He hasn't done something wrong. He has just preached Jesus. He has preached love. And he was put in jail for that. And it's become known. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So in verse 14, we see most of the brothers. It it doesn't say all. But most of the brothers, most of the Christians who know about Paul's imprisonment, specifically those in Rome, have become encouraged, have become emboldened to speak the word without fear. Because they know from Paul's example that if they are put in jail, if they're in prison, then God's just going to use that too. Like he is using Paul's what I would call unfortunate circumstances, but what God had planned all along. And so, we see examples of this throughout Scripture. In Genesis chapter 50, for example, you know uh, the story of Joseph. A lot of you know the story of Joseph. Joseph uh, was the son of Jacob, and Joseph, Joseph's brothers, sold him into slavery. And he ends up in Egypt. And he be, things are going well for him at first. He be, is a member of Potiphar's household. He's sold as a slave in a Potiphar's house. And things are going well. But if you know the story, things don't continue to go well. Someone lies about him. He's thrown in jail. You've got to think that at that moment, Joseph is thinking, why has this happened to me? But he's thrown in jail. And through him interpreting dreams, eventually... He becomes, uh, if you go far down the line, he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And there's this famine coming. And God uses Joseph to protect an entire region from a famine. Now, when Joseph was wondering, why am I being sold into slavery? Why am I, why is this lady lying about me? Why am I being put in jail? Why am I remaining in jail? remaining in jail, even though I've already interpreted some dreams and things like that. When he's wondering that, God knows. He has a plan, and he is working it out. And yes, it it includes some suffering for Joseph. That's true. But he knows his plan, and he's working it out. And it's going to ultimately end up for Joseph's good, for God's glory, and for the entire region's good, because God uses him to spare the region. And Going through the story, there comes a point where Joseph's brothers come back to Egypt and they uh, realize that 
oh, this is the brother that we sold into um, slavery when Joseph reveals himself to them, who he is to them. And uh, eventually their father dies. And when he dies, the brothers come to Joseph and lie to him and just say, hey, our father's last wish was basically for you to not harm us, keep us safe. And Joseph is just trying to reassure, reassure them and tell them that he loves them. And this is what he says to them. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph knew that even though he had to suffer, that God was working to get something together for good. Now, hopefully this reminds you, for those of you who know this verse, of Romans 8.28. Because in Romans 8.28, it says that for all those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes, what does he do? He works everything together for their good. And so, that's an example of what's going on with Joseph there. And then, um, just uh, not too long ago, John Michael and I were reading. We're reading through the Gospel of John. And uh, I don't know why he picked that gospel um he was actually named after that we were uh, going through john when um we were trying to choose a name and after disagreeing about uh was it one million and three hundred thousand names it was somewhere around there uh we we finally uh settled on john michael and so we're we we were recently reading through john and there comes a point in john in john chapter 9 verses 1 through 3, where Jesus, uh, the disciples ask him why a man was born blind. So this man over here, why was he born blind? And Jesus responds, and they ask, sorry, they actually ask, was it his mom's fault or his dad's fault? Was it his fault? Whose fault was it that this man was born blind? And Jesus responds that it was no one's fault that this man was born blind so that the glory of God could be revealed. John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Then if, if we think about the Old Testament again, and there are so many of these. We could, we could go through so many of these, just, but I'm just going to do one more. Then there's, there's Job. You see in Job where there's this man who loses everything. Loses his kids. Loses his well-being. His, his livestock and everything else. Um, and his wife tells him to just to curse God and die. Obviously, God has punished him for something, according to her. His friends say, think about it. What have you done wrong for God to allow this to happen to you? Or for God to do this to you? And he can't think of anything. And so Job, who is a righteous man, he says... The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he, he does a much better job than I would have done about not complaining. He did complain, but way less than I would have complained. And he, he is an upright man. And eventually he, he questions God. And God comes to him. And this is what he says in Job chapter 38, verses 2 through 4. As for you... Sorry, that is back in Genesis. Let me let me read Job for you. No, it's all it's all good. Um, 
in Job 38, he's questioning. Uh, Job has questioned the Lord, and the Lord answers. Verse 2, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's basically saying, Job, you don't understand what I'm doing here. You can't see behind the scenes. I, You have been awesome, and God does bless him at the end of this. God blesses him and gives him back more than he took away. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But um, in that moment, he says, Who is this that darkens the counsel by, by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. So he's saying, you better get ready, because I'm coming at you with some questions. And I want you to answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And we could keep reading, but for time's sake, we're going to stop there. He continues to go on, and he continues to say all these things that God has done. And he says, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did this? And he's basically saying to Job, I have a plan. I know what I'm doing. What I'm doing is good. It's going to work out. And going back to Philippians chapter 1, that's what Paul is telling the Philippians. That, yes, he was imprisoned, but it's actually served to advance the gospel. And God is using it for good. And then we get to verse 15. And let's look at what verse 15 says. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. Now, in the previous verse, he said most of the brothers have been encouraged. In this verse, he's saying some, so not not the ones who are with Paul, but the ones who are kind of in competition with him, even though Paul's not in the competition. He doesn't want there to be competition, but some are competitive about this. And we, I assume... Um, we don't know for sure, but I believe that, that these people are people who are in Rome. You know, Rome already had a church when Paul came there. They were already Christians, groups of Christians, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome. And so maybe it's jealous preachers. I don't know if you know this, but uh, preachers can get jealous of each other sometimes. And they can get jealous of this person's church doing well uh, and when their church isn't doing well. And I don't know if you guys have ever known a preacher like that, but as from being a preacher, I could tell you that it is, is a temptation that you have to fight against. But I'm, I just want to let you know that we are going to bless any God-fearing, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church around us. If they are growing and we are declining, we'll praise God that he's using them. And we will pray that he will use us in, this, in a similar way. But we are not going to get upset about God growing his kingdom through another church. Okay? And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that there are people who are getting upset. That there are people who are getting jealous. And he's, he says that there are some who do that. But others preach, he's saying, from goodwill. Verse 16. The latter do it out of love. So those who are preaching from goodwill do it out of love, love for Christ, love for Paul. These are people who support Paul, who know that his imprisonment is for God's glory, for good. They're supporting him, and and they're preaching out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. Um, This is, the Greek word is apology. It's where we get our English word apology from. 
and it's it's like a defense like you get a law a lawyer and you actually defend something and he is saying that it's for the defense of the gospel that he's put there apologetics if you've heard that word comes from this and so he is put there to defend the gospel he's and, and that's what they're preaching verse 17 the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry not sincerely but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment so there are people who are wanting to grow their church just simply because that they want to be have more influence than Paul. Now, that's not healthy. Let me tell you that if you are a leader in this church or any other church, your main drive to grow the church is for God's glory, not for our glory, not for the preacher's glory, or not for your glory. Our desire to grow this church should be for His glory. It shouldn't be just for the sake of the name of First Baptist Church Mansfield. It shouldn't be for how people in the community will view us. It should be for His glory. And then there, there can be secondary motives. Yes, we should desire for people to see people who do not know Jesus, who would spend an eternity separated from Him if they were to die today, it is okay to be motivated by the fact that you want to see people come to know him. That is a good motivation. But wanting to lead more people to Christ than your neighbor, not so good of a motivation. But what should we do when we see churches who are motivated in that way? Or when there are people in our own church who are motivated that way? We can lovingly speak to them, but listen to what Paul says. Verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He's saying, I will rejoice when people come to know the Lord. I will rejoice when people flock to churches, even if the church isn't necessarily getting them there in the right motive, if they're preaching the right message, then that's a plus. Now, we see in other places in the gospel, or sorry, in scripture, where people are not preaching the true gospel and Paul rebukes them. So this isn't people preaching a false gospel. These are people who are preaching Christ. They, they just might not have the right motives, but they're preaching the truth of Christ. And so Paul is saying, hey, at least they're preaching it. If I'm serving as some weird motivation for them to compete with, whatever, as, as long as people are hearing the gospel, as long as people are hearing truth. And so here's Paul's concern, is that the gospel is spread. That is why I came to Mansfield. I know that many of you thought that it was your winning personalities, and that had a part to play in it. And I know that you thought it was because of how much I love Sonic. And it's true. I love Sonic, even though Rose wouldn't let me eat there last night. And it, you, maybe it's the mascot, the Tigers, who John Michael thought was the LSU Tigers, and was not happy about that. But we, we, we let him know. But the main reason that Rose and I moved our family four hours from home, four hours from, uh, over four hours from my grandmother, who's in the last years of her life, um, four hours from my mom, three and a half hours from Rose's family. The reason we did that is because God called us here to advance the gospel. And I hope, we wouldn't have come if we did not believe 
that there were people here ready to advance the gospel with us. And ultimately, it's God advancing the gospel. And it's not just moving to a new city that God uses to advance the gospel. It's every area of our life that we surrender to him. And let me just be honest, even if we don't surrender it to him, he can use it to advance the gospel. Paul was surrendering to him. He was preaching the gospel and he was imprisoned for it. God used his obedience to advance the gospel. The Romans were throwing him in jail for doing that. Now, they're not submitting to God, and yet God is still using it to advance the gospel. If you haven't noticed, since it was Jesus and a few disciples in the upper room, until now, there are many more Christians on earth than there used to be. If you ever feel like, how are we going to reach Mansfield? Or how are we going to reach Scott, Sebastian County? I still don't even know what county I'm in. How are we going to reach these counties? How are we going to reach Arkansas for Christ? How are we going to do this? If you're wondering how are we going to do this, then think about how the disciples must have felt when Jesus left. And everybody had like turned away from Jesus and stopped following him, whether it was at the end of John chapter 6 when he was preaching a truth that was too hard to hear, or whether it was Judas who betrayed him. So many people had turned away from him, and yet here is Jesus, or sorry, here is Paul in prison. And even before that, here are the disciples, who is just a few of them, and God uses them to turn the world upside down for him. And now I'm not here to tell you that if we together go out and preach the gospel, that everything will go well. Because if you look at the disciples, things did not really go well according to earthly standards. Most of them were martyred. Most of them died gruesome or lonely deaths. Um, even Paul, if you if you read his letters to Timothy, which were some of the last letters that he wrote, it's 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 sad at the end. You can hear he's in his last days and he's rejoicing, but he's gone through a lot. He's been through a lot. And he's talking about people who have rejected him, people who have turned against him. And what I want you to know is, is that I'm not guaranteeing you that our church won't experience suffering. I'm not guaranteeing you that you won't experience suffering if you live for Christ, if you advance the gospel. What I am guaranteeing you is that he will work it all together, even the bad. He will work it all together for his glory and for our good, our individual good and our church's good. So think about the suffering that you've experienced. And I guarantee you that even if you have no idea why you have gone through it or are presently going through it, that God knows And that if you belong to him, there is a deep comfort in knowing that he is using you, every piece of you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He is using your joys, and he's using your sufferings. He's using it all to advance the gospel for his sake and for his glory. And I don't know about you, but I would rather, rather willingly submit to him and and be like Paul. And allow God to use me, and I'm with it. I'm with him. I'm on the same track he's on. I'm I'm doing what he desires. I'd rather be in that boat than God using me despite my disobedience. Like the Romans. When I say the Romans, I mean the government at that point. And so, Paul says he will rejoice. He will rejoice no matter how people come to know Jesus whether it's his suffering, 
whether it's people who are being competitive, whatever, he will rejoice for the sake of Christ and people coming to know him. Now, I get that phone call and uh, in Guatemala, where Michael gets it and talks to me. I fly home. I get home and we're, at that time, we're having a revival at my church and uh, where I was the pastor. And uh, we didn't know what, what was going to happen. We still didn't know. We had a, a doctor's appointment, I believe, the next day. And we stood up in front of the church and we quoted Job. Um, we're going to just go pray that God would heal, but the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And just pray for us. And so um, it was soon after that that Rose miscarried, and which was heartbreaking for us. If you've gone through that, you know. You have all these dreams and joys and expectations, and then they're all gone. It was very difficult. Um, but, you know, when we stood back up in front of the church after that, and I remember saying, nothing's changed. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I didn't just say that in some, a pastor's expected to say that, so I better say something good so that people don't lose hope. I said that from my heart and from the depths of my soul. That there is something about suffering with God and knowing that he loves us so much that he's not exempt from the suffering. Jesus came to this earth. He left heaven. He left a place where there is no suffering. He left the place that all of us want to get, get to one day. He left that to come here and to suffer for us and for the glory of God. To die so that we could have a relationship with him. So that he could forgive our sins. So that he could glorify the Father. Jesus suffered too. And look, in that moment... What are the disciples thinking when they see their Savior on a cross? What is Mary thinking when she sees her son on a cross? I'm sure they couldn't see it all working out. I'm sure they couldn't see the big picture. But there was a big picture. And now we can see a little more, right? From where we stand today in history, we can look back and see the significance of Jesus' death on a cross. We can see the significance of that moment. And one day... In the future, maybe it's heaven, but I've got to believe that we will be able to see the significance of our suffering today. And we will be able to see how God used it for his glory, for the good of those around us, and even for our good. Even when it doesn't seem like this could be used for good, God uses it for good. So what are you going through? What suffering are you experiencing in your life? Have you had a hard time trusting God with that? Well, let me tell you, welcome to the club, because I promise that any time I suffer, I'm like, what is going on here? I'm the biggest baby, I promise you, that I whine and complain more. I just, y'all pray for Rose. She's got to be married to me. But I was telling someone this last week when, um, right before we uh, talked to, to Terry and the search committee, right before that, we um, were trying to figure out, there was this church who were wanting us to come and be their pastor. And so Rose and I had met with them like three times, and we had to make a decision, uh, what are we going to do? Are we going to go and view of a call, or are we not going to go and view of a call? And so Rose and I prayed about it, and we both agreed this wasn't what God wanted. And this was a hard decision to come to. 
because this church was awesome. It was like everything we could see, it was healthy. They had a 100 children. They had 100 teenagers. It was a large church. Everything looked great. And yet here's God leading us to say no thank you. And so Rose and I discussed it one night. I don't know if you remember this. I remember it vividly. But we decided, no, this, this isn't what we need to do. And you know my response to us deciding that? I was mad. I was like, come on, God. This is a healthy church. Look at this. This would be great. I mean, I could raise my family there. I probably wouldn't even have to work that hard. I mean, they've already got everything in order. This this is ideal. And I was upset about it. And Rose could see I was in a bad mood because if you don't know already, I uh, don't hide those things very well. And so um, Rose, she said, uh, hey, um, tell me about your day. What What good happened today? And so I told her something, and she was like, uh, well, what about this, and what about, what about this? And I said, Rose, I know what you're doing, and I don't feel like counting my blessings right now. And she said, well, I know you don't feel like it, but that's probably what you need to do. And I was like, okay, you're right. But in that moment, I didn't know that the next day we would be telling them that we're not coming, and that would be the very day that we meet Terry for the first time the chairman of the search committee. I didn't know what God was doing, but he was working it all together. And I've got to believe scripture. I've got to believe that God knows what he's doing. I've got to believe that in your, in your lives, that he will not allow your heartache and your suffering to be for nothing. I've got to believe that he has a plan. Because his word says so, and because he sent his son into the very suffering and heartache for part of that plan. I've got to believe that this church, which has gone through a lot in the past few years, I've got to believe that God knows what he's doing. I've got to believe that our best days are ahead of us. I would not have come here. If I didn't believe that God was going to use this church to bless each other, but to also reach this community and reach this part of the country. It's a good country. I don't know if y'all know that. It's a good place to be. And I've got to believe that God has plans. So where are you this morning? Do you just need someone to pray for you? Because you're going through suffering right now. And you need someone to just love you. If that's, your, if that's you, I, I'll be right up here. You can come talk to me, or it will not hurt my feelings. You don't know me that well yet. If you want to talk to someone you do know better, if you want someone to pray for you who you've known longer, then just grab them. And you can come to the altar. You can go outside. You can pray wherever you need to pray. Or maybe you're hearing how God works all these things together, and he has a plan, and it's for his glory, and it's for our good, And you don't have a relationship with him. And so you're not a part of this plan that God is working together for good like Paul was. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus and you want to talk to someone about that, I would love to pray with you right now. I would love to talk with you more about that now or later. I just want you to know that I'm here to listen. And if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. And then maybe there are those of you 
who are just ready to see God advance the gospel in this area. You have grandchildren or children or parents or grandparents. or You have loved ones, uh, schoolmates, whatever it is. You know people who need Jesus. And you want to see his love just bathe this area. If that's you, then you pray that God would do that. That he would use you and others in this church to advance the gospel. I'm going to ask that um, Kenny and our musicians and anybody else who's coming up for the invitation, that they would come up during this prayer. And after this prayer, we're going to have a time for you to respond. And you respond in whatever way God is leading you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we just pray that you would give us peace, Lord. Because there are some of us in this room right now who are hurting. There are some of us in this room who need you. We need to feel your presence. We need to know um, you're there. And even if you choose not to tell us why we're suffering, even if you choose to tell, to, even if you choose not to tell us why we're going through these things, Lord, if you would just give us your peace, if you would just give us faith to trust you and to put our hope in you, and Lord, if you would just show us that. Everything we're going through is is going to advance the gospel. Lord, help us to to believe these words that Paul wrote. Help us to trust you as Joseph trusted you, as Job trusted you, as Jesus knew that that man was born blind for your glory. Lord, when things happen to us, help it to be for your glory. And God, I just pray for anyone who's experiencing pain right now that you would bring peace. If there's anyone in here who does not know you, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them this morning. And God, I pray that you would advance the gospel through this community and this this uh, part of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.